Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. First John 4 and 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath for us. For God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. He that hath love. I'd like to preach you on just a simple topic today. A father's love. A father's love. Would you put down your Bibles and lift up your hands and your voices and just give some love to God. Just say, Jesus, I love you. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I thank you for your goodness, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, come on, church, just for a few more seconds, let's give him some love. Isn't he deserving of all of our love in this place? Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we worship you, God. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated. So can we agree that God's love is unlike anything else this world has ever seen? Man himself has tried to explain the love of God. We've tried to say his love means this, his love is this, his love is this. And I'm going to try to do the same today. However, we will never know the full power of God's love. We were never made to know the full power of his love. Is there anyone here today that's just thankful for the love of God? Arthur W. Pink wrote in his book entitled The Attributes of God. And I love what Pink wrote about the love. He writes, and I quote, There are many attributes of God. God is spirit, and we know this because Jesus says in John 4 and 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is also light. We see this in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 5. This then is the message we have heard of him. And I declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We know that God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as in common to man. But God is faithful. But another attribute of God is his love. A love that surrounds us. A love that fights for us. It protects us. It heals us. It mends the broken heart. It makes a way when there seems to be no way. A love that is reckless. A love that doesn't make sense. A love that's always there. A love that's eternal. It's everlasting. It's his love. 1 John 4 and 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. You see, we as man think we can just know everything. We think we can just figure everything out. But one thing about God that we will never, ever, ever understand is his love. I will never get to understand just the power of his love that he has for me and he has for you. You will never understand the love that a father has for his children. Oh, but thank you, Lord, for your love. It was a love that I didn't deserve, but he gave it to me anyway. Even though I didn't love him back, he gave me love. Before I was ever created, he loved me. Before I drew my first breath, he loved me. Before there was ever creation, he loved me. 
even when I sinned against him, he loved me. Just as God had no beginning, he was just there. There was nothing before God, and there will be nothing after God. He was. So was his love. His divine love for his children was always and will always be in existence. Because God is eternal, his love is eternal. God is everlasting, so that means love is everlasting. His love has no end because it had no beginning. It simply was love. Are you thankful for his love today? Can we just lift up our hands and just thank God for his love today? Hallelujah, Jesus. Are you thankful for a father's love? I love what Dr. Tony Evans, uh, his commentary says about 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, and I quote, As sure as the magnetic pull of the earth causes the compass to point to the north, the magnetic pull of God's love at work in your heart will always lead to him. I am drawn to his love. You see, in our own fleshly thinking, we simply believe that I chose to love God. It is my choice to love God. When God created man, that's not how it was. I simply love him because he loves me. My love is a reaction to his love. I simply love because he loved me first. My love is not something of my choosing. I am created to love him simply because he first loved me. Are you thankful for his love today? Just as I love my wife, she loves me back and vice versa. Just like a child and his father. The child loves the father simply because the father first loved. 1 John 4 19, we love him because he first loved us. <laughs> God's love is so powerful, so majestic, so magnetic, so wonderful that my love is a response to his my love to God is simply my reaction. It's a cause and effect scenario. But why does the omnipotent God love me so much? I didn't deserve it. When I was born, I was born into sin. I was created into sin, into filth, into garbage, into trash. Why do I deserve love? Why does the all-powerful God love me so much? Deuteronomy 7 and 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had been sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, so what does that mean? What's this verse saying? God didn't love us because of our numbers. He doesn't love us because who we're related to. He doesn't love us because who my father is. He doesn't love me because of my past. He doesn't love me because of my future. He doesn't love me solely on my last name. He doesn't love me because I'm on the mountaintop. He doesn't love me because I'm on the valley. He loves me just because he loves me. He loves me because he made me. He loves me because I'm his. He loves me because I serve him. Because I'm his creation. That's why he loves me. He doesn't need a reason. He loves because that's who he is. He loved me, therefore I love. The pulpit commentary on this verse in 1 John 4 and 19 reads like this, and I quote, After God's love in giving his son for us, 
it would be monstrous not to love. <laughs> I love that. Because of Jesus, not loving him would be monstrous. He deserves no less than all of our love. Do you agree? The cross was love because of Calvary. Pastor Timothy once said it like this. The chapter of Jesus Christ was the greatest chapter of love that could ever be written. You see, the cross was love. Calvary was the biggest display of love that creation could ever see. All the blood, the hurt, the bruises, the pain, the anguish, the screams, the darkness, the hate, the crown of thorns, the spears, the lashing, the mocking, the spinning, the punching, the beating, the nails, the cross. It was all love from an eternal God. Can you imagine? Hollywood can try to copy it. They could try to mimic it. They've tried with the very same story, but there's no power in what they do. But there's power in the love of the cross. There is no thing that can compare to the act of love that Jesus showed for us on the cross. No story could ever be told that can compare to it. All the paper and pens in the world, the greatest writers, the greatest minds could not compare to the story of love that Jesus gave. Are we thankful for the cross today? Can you just lift up your hands and your voices one more time and just thank Jesus for the cross. Thank him for the blood that he shed on Calvary. So, if you've spoken to me in the last two or three months, I've probably mentioned Gene Edwards and his books. I'm addicted to them. I love them. They're amazing. And two of his books that I've recently read, it's called The Divine Romance and The Day I Was Crucified. Both of these books follow Jesus in the telling of the creation to the cross to the resurrection. And the way he writes is just very interesting, and it tells kind of a story. And from that, I kind of picked apart and took some details that he had and I'd like to share it for you so just bear with me so here we see Jesus and his 11 disciples walking into the Mount of Olives and night begins to fall the 11 go to sleep and as the 11 sleep the Messiah begins to pray and as the Messiah prays the betrayer is in the temple with the Pharisees plotting as Jesus begins to pray as the 11 sleep a cup appears before him. Not a cup of natural being, not a, a cup like a chalice or something that you could hold, but it was a supernatural cup that laid before Jesus. And Jesus cries in Matthew 26 and 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass before me. The flesh of Jesus. Because you see, Jesus was God, but Jesus was man. He was all God and he was all man. Jesus battled fleshly thinking. The flesh of Jesus did not want to partake of the cup. The flesh did not want the responsibility it was about to take. But then he followed in that same verse. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as that will. Not as my will, but thou, Father. Whatever you have for me, for it was a father's love. As Jesus spake these words, the cup would become nearer to him. It would draw closer to him. Edward says, and I quote, The cup spewed its vile venom until the stench of its contents seemed to fill the winds of the earth. I, speaking of Jesus, watched all the sins of all the sons of Abraham slip into the cup. I saw their centuries of rebellion, idolatry, incest, murder, lies, and deceit make their way into the cup. 
the sins of the Hebrew race had now become one with the cup. If you can just picture the scene in your head, picture this chalice that Jesus is seeing. The 11 are sleeping and Jesus is weeping and praying because he sees this cup and all your sins, all my sins are going into the cup. He watches as every lie I would tell, every deceit I would ever do, every sin on my past would walk into the cup. And even though his flesh said, don't let me take it, the spirit, the God in him said, it's worth it. But that's not the end of what Jesus saw with the cup. We begin with the sins of the natural world, but then he begins to see the sins of the supernatural world. And I read again. Within the cup's iniquitous brew, I watched the sins of the heathendom spill their idolatry, blasphemy, and loathsomeness of all that the heathen imagination could conjure up. I cried, oh, the brutality of man toward man. I saw the battles, the wars, the suffering, the pain, and the staggering depravity of heathendom all found their way into the cup. So not only did Jesus watch my sins, not only did he watch your sins, but every devil in hell that would ever sin, he watched the sins go into the cup. The sins of Lucifer and these evil angel armies go into the cup. Before Jesus was even on the cross, before he had been betrayed, he saw my sin in the cup. And even though his flesh denied it, he said, looked at me and said, it's worth it. He looked at you and said, it was worth it. Caitlin, he saw the wrongdoings in your life and said, it's worth it. Grace, he saw the wrongdoings in your life and he said, I'll partake. Brandon, he saw the sins in your life and he said, it's worth it. All the evil, just imagine it. It's like acid and chemicals just spilling over to where it seems like it's going to overflow. And he says, it's worth it. But that's not the end of his story. Going forward, Jesus has now been judged by the very people that thought they were his ministers, his followers. They thought that they had all it all together. They thought they knew everything. They thought they knew it all. Side note, pastor kind of talked about this. If you hear a preacher says that they know everything, that they know all the truth, they've made it, that there's nothing left to learn, be very cautious because that's the same mindset of the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. And John called them a pit of vipers. Am I right? I'm getting back to my message. Jesus on his way to Golgotha. Two prisoners follow alongside of him. <laughs> They will be the first ones to be nailed to their cross of the three. Jesus watches as the soldiers nail the criminals to their trees. He hears their screams, their pain, their anguish, their hate. He hears them screaming out. He knows what now awaits him. He knows the agony that lies before him. However, Jesus does something that confuses the Roman soldier. You see, the... The two criminals, when they were being put on their cross, I would have to imagine the Bible doesn't say this, but I believe that they fought back with everything they had. They tried to get away. They said, no, you're not going to nail me to the cross. They probably clenched up their hands, not allowing the nail to go in. And so the Roman soldiers would have to fight and fight to get them on the cross. But Jesus does something different. He lays down by himself and opens his hand for the nail. In, in Gene Edwards' book, he writes that <laughs> he didn't make a sound 
when the nails were going in, he said when the nails went in, that he stood and on his right side, when the nail went into his right wrist, that God stepped out of time. Bear with me here. God stepped out of time, all right? And he sent his angels to the very beginning of time. Now, you youth, you probably heard me say this because I say it all the time. I love this story. They went to the very beginning of time. They grabbed Adam. They grabbed the mercy seat, all the sacrifices that would ever be shed in the Old Testament, all the blood, all the anguish. They grabbed the tablet with the Ten Commandments on it, and they brought it back to Jesus and put it in him. And the nail went in. And on the left side, <laughs> when he opened his hands and the nail went in, that God sent his angels to the very end of time and grabbed every one of our sins. He grabbed my sin. He grabbed your sin. He grabbed death. He grabbed hell and the grave. And they brought it all back. Every past that would ever be given. All the sin that would ever be. Every wrongdoing. Every lie. Every deceit. Every hate. All because it was because of Jesus that it was brought back and nailed to the cross. <laughs> my sin was taken from me and not only did he take my sin not only did he take hell death in the grave but he replaced it with power he replaced it with his love he replaced it with mercy with grace that i would need in this time when i sinned today when i sinned yesterday when i'll sin tomorrow he's already taken it from me and he's replaced it with grace he's replaced it with power with mercy are you thankful for it today All of that because he loved me, because he loved you. He took my sin. He took your sin. He took my hurt, my fear, my depression, my anxiety, my hate, my lies, my gossip, my evil thoughts, my past. He took it all and let it die with him upon the cross. Could we ever understand such love that a father has for his children? Can we ever begin to understand the Father's love? Even though I don't understand why, God, I'm so filthy. My rags are so dirty. My sins are so terrible. My past, you don't know God. You don't know my past. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know my, my regrets. You don't know the evil things I've done. There are too many. I don't understand his love. I, can re I love what uh, Arthur W. Pink writes. When we don't understand, we can love and worship. My response can be worship. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Even though I don't understand, it's because of his love that I love him. Can we just lift our hands and thank him one more time? One more time. 
for the blood that he shed on Calvary for me and you, even though we didn't deserve it. Oh, how I love Jesus. The beautiful thing about Calvary is not just the amazing love that was shown by Jesus, but it's what also that Jesus gave. My God, he gave us love, but he gave us so much more than love. You would think that the cross, that was enough. That his love, that simple act of brutality and love would be enough. Ephesians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The cross brought his love, but it also brought my redemption. For I was a sinner, but through the blood I can be made new. Galatians 1 and 4, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from our present evil world, according to the will of our God and our Father. Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3 and 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is risen. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Isaiah 44 and 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that he gave only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life I am redeemed through his love I am forgiven by the blood I am through his stripes I am healed by his wounds I am made new how many are glad for the cross could you stand on your feet and just give thanks give him love back for he deserves nothing less but all my love can you just worship the king of kings and the lord of lords come on he deserves no less than all of it he deserves no less i'm talking about a father's love You know what, church? There's something that you and I have and have the ability to have that makes the devils in hell jealous of us. But also, it makes the angels jealous of us. How does that make sense? Every demon and every angelic host are jealous of you and me, Pastor. They're jealous of you and me, Mariah. They're jealous of you and me, Zach. I can understand that the demons would be jealous because I get to serve God. And I could be with him in church. But why are the angels jealous of me? Why are the angels jealous of me? What do I have that they can be so jealous of me? It's because we can sing a song that they cannot. Of course, the angels get to cry, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. We can sing the song of the redeemed. We can sing a song of redemption. We can sing a song of forgiveness. God himself, when he comes into a place of repentance, when we come into God with a place of repentance, forgets our sins. How can the all-knowing God forgive all that we've done? 
How can he forget that? How can the omnipotent God forget what we've done the evil that I've done to him? Isaiah 43 and 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. I will not remember thy sins. The all-knowing God, when you come into a place of repentance, can forget every sin you ever committed. says he'll throw into the sea of forgetfulness. Why don't you come to these altars right now? Why don't you come? Let's come with a heart of repentance today. His mercy is everlasting. You see, church, Calvary wasn't by accident. It cannot be repeated. Jesus isn't just one of a kind. He's the only one of an only kind. Why don't we come to this altar with repentance? Sing your song of redemption. Psalms 107 and verse number one, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, for he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Why don't we start out this 2020 new year? This is the last Sunday. Start out your new year with a clean slate. Let's heart with repentance. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Saturday.